really is a joy to pray together for other churches. I wonder if you realize that your life, the life that you live every day, is lived in, in major parts, lived in response to things that happen around you and in you. You respond to your sense of hunger by going to the fridge and getting something to eat. You respond to a red stoplight by applying the brake. You respond to your favorite sports team victory by jumping up and down. You respond to feeling sick by going to the doctor. You respond to your alarm clock by going off by... I have no idea how you respond to your alarm clock. You may throw it against the wall or something. But you respond a thousand times a day to things that you sense and feel and hear and see and perceive by doing something. Paul, in the section that we're going to look at this morning in Colossians, is soliciting a response from us. He's soliciting a a response, an appropriate and a necessary response to everything that we have learned so far in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And the response is to live a life pleasing to Christ. That is the response that Paul is going to solicit from us this morning. Paul has so far painted a picture. He has made a glorious masterpiece for us of who Christ Jesus is. We saw he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. He, in him, all things were made through him and for him. In him, everything holds together And he is preeminent in everything. He is the Lord and the God and the head of the body, his church. He is Christ above all. And through him, God reconciled to himself everything in heaven and on earth. And he made peace for us by his blood on the cross. This is the picture that Paul has painted for us. And this morning when we get to Colossians 2 and verse 6, we will notice a transition. When you see the word therefore, therefore is what verse 6 starts with. That is a transition word. And so we will see a transition from primarily exalting Christ and glorifying Christ to our necessary and required response to who Christ is and to what Christ has done. And he is doing that by giving us a series of commands, which we will see over the next several weeks. In chapter, chapter 2, verse 6, through chapter 4, verse 6, we will see several ways that Paul is calling us to respond because of what he has already told us. And so this morning we will look at verses 6 and 7. And I pulled a Matthew on you. You may not know this. But I was supposed to preach verses 6 through 15. That then became verses 6 through 10, then 6 through 8. And I ended up with 6 and (laughs) 7. What shall I do? There was just too much. 
And so we're going to look at verses 6 and 7, and we will see the first way in which Paul is asking us, requiring of us to respond to the supremacy of Christ and his reconciling work in our lives. And that is to walk in him or to continue to walk in him. So if you haven't already, please open your Bibles and let us read together Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All those who have received Christ by faith are to respond to his supremacy and to his reconciling work by walking in a manner worthy of him. Now let's look at this. Let's see this in our text this morning. We start in verse 6 and it says, Therefore, transition, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... The word receive here is pretty significant. Oftentimes, Paul uses the word receive as also meaning accepting. And it is receiving or accepting knowledge or instruction or tradition about Christ and about his gospel. And we see that. I'll show you two places. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. The gospel which you received. And in Galatians 1 verse 9, he says, As we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so in both those places, and there are many other places, we see that the word receive in those situations, means receiving the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in keeping with the high Christological focus of this letter, just a a beam focus on Christ, it is clear that Paul refers here not only to receiving knowledge about Christ or teaching or tradition about who Christ is. He's not just referring to to believing the message of the gospel, but he is saying they received Christ himself. So to receive Christ in this word, in the, in this verse, when you read, therefore, as you received Christ, it, it means not only believing the truth about Jesus. He is saying to them, at some point, Colossians, by faith, They received the living word, which is Jesus Christ. And now they live under his lordship. And so we see the proof of that in chapter 1 and verse 14, where he specifically says that they did not only believe in the message, but they were delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. 
So as you receive Christ means as you place your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin to, by grace, receive salvation, be saved. And so who was it that they received and that they placed their trust in? Verse 6 says, you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Very interesting that Paul in all his writings uses those three words, Christ, Jesus, and Lord, in different combinations. But this is the only place in the New Testament where he uses those three words together in that string, in that order, Christ, Jesus, the Lord. And this once again speaks to the high Christology, the exalted view of Christ, which Paul paints to us in the book of Colossians. He is Christ Jesus, the Lord, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. He is the one whom they received. It is in Christ Jesus, the Lord, whom they received that they received salvation. And now Paul is telling the Colossian Christians as well as us this morning that because of who Christ is, high and exalted, because they received him by faith, that there is now a necessary and a required response. So we look at verse 6 again. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, here's the response, so walk in him or so Continue to walk or to live in him. Now, Paul has previously explained to us, he, he's given us the nature of what is that walk that he is talking about here? What, did, what does that mean? When you look back in chapter 1 and verse 10, there he was praying for the Colossians, and he says he was praying for them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So the response that Paul is calling from everyone who have received Christ by faith unto salvation is to continue to walk in a manner that is worthy of Christ and that is fully pleasing to him. That is the call for us this morning. It means to conduct one's life in a way that, it, that displays and honors the great value and the glorious nature of our God and of his gospel. And it said to the Colossians, do not listen to these false teachers who want to tell you that Christ is not supreme, that his gospel is not sufficient. And he's saying the same for, to us this morning. Friend, you and I are called to display in the way that we live the great value and the glorious nature of God by how we live. Whew, it's a hard call. And so we have to answer the question, what does a life like that look like? What type of living, what type of walking is worthy of the Most High God? is fully pleasing to him. What should your life and my life look like? What is this response we are called to? And so let's think about this. Do you think that this life that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, is this a life of, of faith? Because Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please him. So is a life of faith pleasing to the Lord? 
Yeah, I think so. What about a life that is, that is filled with the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. Yep. That, that is a life that is fully pleasing to Him. What about a life that is lived in unity with brothers and sisters? Yes. What about if we're poor in spirit, hunger and thirst for His righteousness? Yes, that's a life worthy of Christ. And so we can go on and on and on, page by page by page. And the longer you go on, you may go like, how am I supposed to do this? And here's the good news. Pursuing those things, let's call them fruits of righteousness. All these things that we can say, oh, we should look like this. Pursuing those things is not how you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And now people go like, what you say? And these things are not, this is not, if these things that we talk about, those fruits of righteousness, those things are indeed fruit that will be produced in us if we walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. If you make pursuing faith and love and peace and joy and kindness, if you make that your absolute focus, this is, this is what my life needs to look like, I'm going to do this. Do you know where you end up? Tired, depressed, angry. Because you are not supposed to produce that in you. That is a result that is a fruit of a life that is lived in submission to Christ. Paul uses two um, metaphors in verse 7 to elaborate on the nature of this walk in him. We see the two metaphors. He talks about rooted in him and built up in him. And these metaphors speak about being in Christ, united to Christ. Rooted in him is similar to what we often hear, abiding in Christ. Rooted in him is like a tree planted in the fertile soil, which is Christ. And its roots go deep into that soil and it draws its nourishment from that soil, which is Christ. Abiding is a, tr- is a branch that is attached to the tree. There's unity, and it draws its nourishment from that. And built up is the the metaphors used for like a stone that is built into a wall. And that wall is the building that is Christ. This all talks about unity. So walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, speaks about living a life in close union, close unity with Christ. Now, let me try and explain. You should see what people, what people look at you like when you walk into church with a branch. This is, this is Paul Tripp's illustration. So, imagine this is my life. It's piddly looking. There's no fruit on it. I obviously have no fruit. Um, No joy, peace, or patience here. And I go like, does this look like a life pleasing to Christ? No, it doesn't. There's there's really, this is piddly. All right, now, how about this? Uh I'm hanging fruit on myself. (laughs) How about this? 
I have the faith of a banana and the kindness of an apple. Now is my life. Does this life look pleasing to the Lord? It's a trick question. Really, it does not. And the reason it does not is because in a week, those fruits are going to be rotten on this branch, on my life. Because what I did was I was pursuing these fruits. Oh, I need some kindness. My wife said I need kindness. I'll be kind for a week, and then it's going to... But you know really why this is not, the main reason why this is not worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him, is because of this end that is not attached to Christ. This is not abiding in Christ. This is not rooted in Christ. Let me carefully put this away. Our lives will be worthy of Christ, fully pleasing to Him, when our branch, our lives, are attached and does not have that cut end. When we abide in Him. Abiding in Christ simply means living your life in close communion with Christ. But here is a quote from an unknown author that gives us some, a practical definition for what abiding means and what it means for our lives to abide in Christ. Abiding in Christ involves trusting Him, obeying Him, setting your affections on Him, seeking His will, surrendering to Him, receiving spiritual nourishment from Him, and not detaching ourselves from Him when things get difficult. When we detach ourselves from Him, there can be no spiritual nourishment being drawn from the vine into my life, the branch. And we will just wither away until it looks like that piddly little branch that I showed you. We have to be united with Christ. Listen to John 15, verse 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Those last few words are very important. Apart from me, we can do nothing. We need Christ to help us to abide in him. The words, it is he who bears much fruit in this verse is another way of saying what Paul is saying in verse 7, established in the faith. This is what Paul expects to happen as a result of a life that is abiding in Christ. Being built up in him, we will be established in the faith, bearing much fruit. And so, friends, we have to stop here and ask, if you consistently in your life realize that you do not see the fruit of an abiding life, those fruits of righteousness in your life, then you have to stop and examine your life to seriously see 
if your faith is an authentic faith. If we have authentic faith, saving faith, it means that we are abiding in Christ like a branch is attached to a tree, and then the Spirit will produce in us fruit. And so if we look at our lives and we do not see the fruit that we read about all through Scripture, we have to ask, is my faith authentic? And so we've already established that receiving Christ means to speak, it speaks of an authentic faith whereby someone places their faith in Christ and he saves them. As, as it says in John 3, it speaks about somebody that is born again. That's authentic faith that brings you to that place. So if receiving Christ or being born again was authentic in our lives, then there must be some enduring evidence of that abiding faith in our lives. There must, on the one hand, be a, at least a growing of fruit that I can see. And there must, on the other hand, be a, a desire to resist and stand and fight and kill the sin that is in my life. Authentic fruit that confirms true conversion in Christ must be seen in my life. Now, I know this is, this is a somewhat uncomfortable topic, but friends, if you do nothing else today or tomorrow or next week, it is one of the most important things that you can do is to examine your life and to make sure that your life bears the fruit that validates authentic faith in Christ. Do not assume because you once prayed a sinner's prayer when you were in college that you have authentic faith and that you are abiding in Christ. Do not assume just because you come to church since you were little and everybody around you thinks that you're a Christian and refer to you as a Christian that you have authentic faith and that you are abiding in Christ. Jesus says a tree will be known by what? By its fruit. And so we are commanded, we're commanded by Scripture to examine our faith. If we look at 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, here Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, and then these chilling words, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. What Paul is saying here, remember he's speaking to the church, he's speaking to believers in that church, and he's saying to them, believers, you who think you are believers, say you are believers, you need to test yourself and make sure that you are indeed in the faith. This is critical so examining ourselves to see whether we have authentic faith, whether we are abiding in Christ, is one of the most important things that you and I can do. Ask those around you to help you discern. Don't just ask them, hey, do you think I'm a Christian? Ask them, the people who know you, ask them, please tell me what fruit of authentic faith you see in me. 
And please tell me what lack of authentic faith you see in me. And then when you hear them, listen to them. It is critical. Hear what John 15 and verse 6 says. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and it withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So this is not something we should take lightly, church. This is not something that we should just think, I'm okay, I'm okay. We should evaluate our lives and test to see whether we have authentic faith. And so what if you examine your, your life and you see some fruit that validates authentic faith? Well, then you rejoice in Jesus because that faith, that, that, those um, fruits that you see in your life will be produced by him because you are abiding. So if you see that in your life, rejoice in him. Remember, John 15, 5 said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you see fruit of authentic faith, rejoice in Christ that he has given you saving faith. But what if you look at your life and you find very little proof of authentic faith? What if you find a lot of fruit of unrighteousness? What if you find a lot of fake fruit, like the fruit I hung on that branch, and there's really little honest fruit of righteousness, which in many cases, you're the only one who will be able to judge that. I'll suggest the following things. If you find that you are lacking in fruit that authenticates true faith, here are things that you should do. First, humble yourself before God. Knowing that authentic faith, true faith, comes from him only. You cannot produce that by yourself. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Secondly, cry out to him like the tax collector did in Luke 18. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Thirdly, ask him for authentic faith. He can work authentic faith in you. Four, admit your need for Christ's saving work in your life. Five, repent of your sins. Six, ask God to forgive you and give you new life. And then, friend, if you do this, then you have to believe that he is the one who can do this for you. And if you humbly and honestly go to God and say, Lord, forgive me. I do not see authentic faith in my life. I'm coming to you. We believe that he will give you authentic believing faith and that you will be called out of the kingdom of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so before we can walk in him, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, we must first make sure that we have truly received Christ and are abiding in him. Do that, church. All those who have received Christ by faith are to respond to his supremacy and his reconciling work by walking in a manner worthy of him. So we ask the question again, what does this life look like that we are called to? What does this life look like that is pleasing to Christ, worthy of the Lord? 
I'll tell you what three men says. You cannot talk on this topic and not bring Piper to the table. This is what John Piper says, what it looks like to live a life worthy of the Lord. It is to live by a single soul-satisfying passion for the supremacy of God in all things. Got to love the guy. So if we paraphrase verse 6 with his words, it would read, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord by faith, now live by a single soul-satisfying passion for the supremacy of Christ. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So let me ask you this. I'll pick on Eric. <laughs> I told you I'm happy that you're here this morning. <laughs> so when, when you... When you desired to know nothing but architecture, it's a little bit of a stretch, but when you desired to know nothing but architecture, did you study biology and did you attend genetics conferences on the weekend? <laughs> He did not. He did not because, because that, did not, that did not help To, to get to where he wanted to know architecture. And so what Eric studied is design and photography and art. And if he was younger, CAD drawings, that was before his time. He studied what specifically helped him to know architecture. And so if we desire to know nothing but Christ and him crucified, then we should study Christ and him crucified. How do we do that? Well, we look at his word. Where is he most glory, gloriously revealed to us? In his word. And so if you want to know Christ, you go to his word. And so if you want to have passion for him, you go there. How do, you, how, how do you ever get passionate for sports? You play it from when you're this little, right? And you talk about it, and you watch it for hours and hours, and you eat a lot while you watch it for hours and hours, and you get passionate about it. How do you get passionate about music? You listen to the type of music that you listen to. How do you become passionate about Christ? You spend time with Christ. You read his word. And while you read his word, you say, Lord, will you please give me a passion for you? Will you please make my life to say, I know nothing except Christ and him crucified. This is not something you can do. You cannot muster up passion for Jesus. Hear this this morning. What you can do is you can go to him. You can, you can read about him. You can sing about him. You can talk about him to other people. And when you do that, you will become passionate about him. Ask him to do that for you 
as you read his word. Ask him to transform you into what you cannot be by yourself. Someone who glorifies Christ. He's passionate about Christ. Living for him with a single soul-satisfying passion. And he will do that for you. So here's the question. Am I saying all you have to do is that? I cannot play games. I cannot go fishing. I cannot hang out with my friends. Is this what I'm saying? No. This is definitely not what I'm saying. But, transition. If those things in your life is pursued with a disproportionate passion to pursuing Christ and Him crucified, then the answer may be yes. Maybe there are things that you should not be doing. Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so maybe there are things in your life and in my life when we carefully evaluate our lives that should be on the rubbish pile that we should need to get rid of in order that we might gain Christ. And so if you know of these things, if you know exactly what I'm talking about right now, I exhort you to go to him. Go to the Lord and ask him to help you, to rid you of this thing. This thing that makes you not be able to say, I seek Christ in him only. If you don't know what that is, I bet your spouse do. I bet your children may know, your coworker, your friends They may know some of these things that you are passionate about in disproportionate amount and passion to your passion for Jesus Christ. And again, I say we need to test ourselves. We need to ask the Lord, reveal to me what it is in my life that should be loss. And this is not legalism. If, if it feels like legalism to you, I want to tell you this is not legalism. To get rid of anything that hinders you from living a life pleasing to the Lord and from knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, ridding yourself of any of those things is not legalism. These things, anything that you will rid yourself of, you will rid yourself of in your life will not be lost if losing them means you gain Christ. And that's what we are after. So is there a single soul satisfying passion for the supremacy of God in your life? If no, go to God. Go to God and ask him for mercy. Let's go together and ask him, Lord, I see so much in my life that is not focused on you, that is not passionately pursuing you. Will you give me that passion? As I study your word, will you allow me to see you as beautiful and glorious? Will you give me a passion to pursue you? This is a prayer that God loves to answer. I'm going to end by looking at Isaiah 
and how we see the evidence of a life worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him in his life. So read with me Isaiah 26, verse 8 and 9. This is the NIV version. It says, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. Walking in a manner worthy of Christ Jesus the Lord is walking in a manner that says, Jesus, your name and your renown are the desires of my heart. My comfort is not the desire of my heart. Neither is my passion for fishing or my enjoyment of entertainment, nor the deep love I have for my wife. No, what is the primary desire of my heart is the name and the renown of the Most High God. Christ is first in my life, Christ above all. Whatever else competes for my passion, my desire, and my love will lose. That's what Isaiah is saying. How do we do this? How do, you, how do you move from where you are today to a place where, where you can honestly say, your name, your renown are the desires of my heart. I want to know nothing except you. Don't hear this morning that this is a charge for you to go do this. Your charge is to abide in Christ, to seek Christ, to love Christ, to be rooted in him by reading his word, by praying, by asking him to form this in you. This life that Paul is asking us to live is impossible for us to live without Christ. And so we hear what these men say and we say, Lord, will you do that in us? And so today, I pray that God will help you and me to do the impossible thing he calls us to do, to live a life in which Jesus Christ and his renown is the primary desire of your heart, and that all other desires will pale in comparison. That will be a life that is worthy of the Lord, that is fully pleasing to him. May he do that in each of our lives. We need him to do that. Without him, it will not happen. So let me pray for us that the Lord will do this for us as the band come up. Father, we come this morning to you because we can go nowhere else. When we look at your word and we see that you call us to an impossible life, a life worthy of Christ, fully pleasing to you, we realize we cannot make this happen. But Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us Christ, whom whom you gave for us to lay down his life for us. 
And through him, you reconciled us to yourself. And this morning, now we ask, Lord, will you do in our lives what we cannot do ourselves? Will you change our passions from all the, all the things that we are so greatly passionate about? Will you change our passion so that our passion will be your name and your renown? Will you form in us the men and the women that you want us to be to glorify you? We cannot, Lord. We just cannot. We cannot muster passion for you. But will you give us the desire to read your word to look to you, to pray and ask you, to talk with friends, to listen to sermons, to do our part. And as we do our part, will you form in us a Christ-exalting person, one with a singular focus to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, fully pleasing to Christ. I pray you do that for every man, woman, and child in this building today. We need you, Lord. We need you to do that in us so that we can glorify you. We ask that in your mighty name. Amen.